Good morning and welcome. It's good to see everybody out today. Great crowd. We're all excited for our baptisms coming up just shortly. And so we're so glad you're here. We want to welcome you, especially if you're visiting with us for the first time. We want you to know that here at East LJ, we've been captivated by Christ in Jesus. We have seen the glory of God through the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior. And we exist to spread our enjoyment of His beauty to our world. Uh, we pray that this morning you'll see the beauty of Christ. That's why we're here, is to see Him, to savor Him, uh, that we might go out and spread the word about Him. And so we just welcome you. We want to go to the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to move right into worship and baptism. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this Lord's Day, and thank you for the privilege, the joy, and the freedom to come and gather our hearts together in worship. Lord, we humble ourselves before you this morning. Lord, we need you every hour, as the song says, but we need you in this moment. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for um, your grace and mercy in Christ, your love to us that is never-ending. Thank you that because of Jesus, nothing can ever separate us from your love. And we praise you for that. Father, we want to lift up uh, our neighbors today and the nations. Lord, all who have yet to come to know you through faith in Jesus Christ. Make us faithful witnesses. And Lord, raise up uh, many to take the, the gospel to the ends of the earth to those who have yet to hear the name of Jesus. Father, this morning we also want to pray for Kathy Abernathy, Mary Abernathy's sister-in-law. Uh, she had been stable last night, but overnight took a, a turn uh, for the worse and had to be intubated. So we pray for her, God, that you would just work there and bring healing. We lift up Billy Bernhardt this morning and pray for him and, and for healing to his body following the, the car wreck. We continue to pray for Nathan Shore and Jim and Arminda Brooks. We pray for Mayford MacArthur. Uh, Lord, thank you that David's with us today. We pray for David MacArthur and uh, his back. We lift up Jerry Wallace, and we continue to pray, Father, for the family of Opal Powell, uh, just for your comfort and presence in their lives. Lord, thank you for the occasion to rejoice in your work of salvation, your power to save in the lives of three young folks this morning, and we pray that you would just be pleased with our worship, that Christ would be exalted and that you would draw uh, men, women, boys, and girls to yourself, uh, even during this time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're glad you're here this morning. Uh, Brennan, you need to stand up and introduce our Cajon player this morning, Brennan Ferguson. I didn't tell him I was going to make him do that. I was afraid he wouldn't come. Yeah. But let's all stand together, and uh, we'll open with Everlasting God.
Y'all can be seated. Good morning, church. I'm so glad to see you today. We're talking in Sunday school this morning about the importance of baptism, what it means to the Christian family. When we have marriage ceremonies, we come together as a church and it's done in public and that's the way it's been done for thousands and thousands of years. Well, this morning we come together for a really important thing that Jesus told us to do was baptism. And for thousands of years, they have come together in front of the church and done it publicly. It's a magnificent way to show your faith. So we have three uh, students today who are ready to make sure that profession of faith publicly. And I'm so thankful that you've come out. Before we bring them all down, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless it. And then we're going to start with Jackson McNabb this morning. Let's pray. Kind, gracious, heavenly Father, we praise your name today for this death, burial, and resurrection that we just recently focused in on and, and celebrated. And today we come together at church again, this time symbolically showing this death, burial, and resurrection. These, these students who have accepted Christ and now want to walk in newness of life and show that faith publicly. I pray today, Lord, that you'll bless these students and, and carry them forward and I charge all of the family and friends who are here today to help them along their journey and lead them on the right path. And I charge our church as well to lead them on the right path and pour the love of God into their heart. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. This time we're going to invite Jackson McNabb into the baptistry. Let's turn around here and face him. Now, Jackson is a good buddy of ours. And we love him. And you know, not too long ago, he decided that he wanted to do something for the Lord. And it was on Wednesday night. What happened to you, Jackson? I got saved. Say it a little louder. I got saved. Oh, praise God. Amen. We're so proud of Jackson. We're thankful for his family. He's been a part of our church, and we love them. And it's just such an honor to baptize you today, and I'm proud of you. And I think you're a great young man. I can't wait to see what God's going to do with your life. Amen. Are you ready? All right. I'm Hope to die. All right. Are you ready? One, two. I'll just play. Heavenly Father, we baptize this our brother, Jackson McNabb, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Love you, Amen. I told the kids this morning that by doing this, it's going to be kind of almost beneficial for y'all because you love to see people get baptized, right? Next up we have Lily and Reese. Lily and Reese. Come on down. Now Lillian, we're so glad that you're here. She's ready. <laughs> we're so glad you're here and, and I, I just want to make it a testament uh, of the faith of, of those in our youth group uh, that Emma Kate Bramley 
was there with her, uh, leading her to the Lord, answering questions, praying with her. And uh, Emma Kate, we're so thankful for you. I'm thankful for all of our students that know how to share the gospel and know how to lead others to Christ. She was there when Lillian needed her, and then we got to talk later, and now here you are. Are you glad to be here? Yeah. Will you tell them what happened to you? I got saved. Amen. I love you. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we baptize this, our sister Lillian, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And last but certainly not least, we have Riley Davis. Riley has been a... Uh, Taking his time. Come on in, <laughs> Riley, won't you tell them what happened to you? So, a while back, I decided to accept the Lord as my Savior. And uh, about two weeks ago, I decided it was time to get baptized and that there was no need to wait. And so, yeah. <laughs> Amen. I know that uh, we got to know Riley quite a bit last summer when we came to the church and his coming to youth, and, and uh, we had us a really good talk there at camp, and I know none of us will ever forget. It was a special time, and uh, I just think Riley's a great young man. I'm so glad that he's here at, at youth with us, and I'm so proud of him and his family, and uh, it's an honor to, to, to baptize you today. Are you ready? Yes, sir. All right, let's do this thing. We baptize this, our brother, Riley Davis, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as they transition into the next thing. And I do want to say what an honor it is to have you with us today. You're special and we're glad you're here. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what we've just been able to be a part of. We praise your holy name for the death, burial, and resurrection that we also are able to be a part of here through baptism. Sharing in your death and burial and rising to new life, we leave forever changed publicly showing everybody. We pray that today's service will be a blessing to everybody and that we'll go changed as we have been after seeing this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Bible says, Jesus said, that the angels in heaven rejoice when people come to the Lord. And so what a joy it is to be able to join heaven and worship him and praise him for his saving power in these young lives today. We have with us this morning Mr. Campbell. Uh, he's with the Gideons, the Gideon camp here in LJ. He's going to come and share about the work of the Gideons with us briefly this morning, uh, and then we'll continue in our worship, worship time. Come on, Mr. Campbell. All right. Hello. 
Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Okay, I'll try both of them. Okay. And uh, this is usually my offering bucket. I'm an optimist. Okay? That G stands for God, Gideons, and of course, with no apologies to you tech fans, two-time national champions, Georgia Bulldogs. Oh, we accept cash, checks, money orders, winning lottery tickets, casino chips, and signed property titles for anything you want to put in there. Thank you for allowing the Gideons to come and talk with you. And I'm so glad Jim Lazy is not here today because you know Jim, you know he's very strict on doing everything prim and proper. And I have been known to rock the boat a few times. As a matter of fact, I've sunk three in my life. So please don't wrap me out if I mess up, okay? There are 226 countries in and over 106 different languages. Pretty interesting. In 1899, two Yankees in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, met in a hotel room and was having a Bible study. And they said, wouldn't it be a wonderful idea if we put a, a Bible in every hotel room in Chicago, Illinois? 1907, they did that. That was the beginning of the Gideon organization. And then it has grown. And a lot of interesting facts about the Gideons. Uh, turn the screen on. Is it on? Oh, yeah, you all know about the war in Russia and Ukraine. Uh, back before the war started, all the international organizations were told to get out of the Ukraine because there was a war coming. Most of them did. There's one organization that did not leave the Ukraine. Can you guess what it is? The Gideons didn't leave. Why? Because we have Gideon men and women in Ukraine who belong to the same camps like we do here in LJ and Blue Ridge. And since the war started a year ago, they have given out 1,100,000 copies of God's Word. Now, can you imagine a Russian soldier walking down the street, getting ready to blow you away, and somebody comes out and hands you a copy of God's Word? This is on the street corner in St. Petersburg, Russia. The man with the back to you in the little red box, that's a Russian Gideon. We have Gideons in Russia giving out God's word. We have Gideons in over 200 countries with one goal, to hand every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of this earth a copy of God's word. Two years ago, the Gideons celebrated 2.5 billion scriptures given out. There's six billion people on the earth right now. So we're behind. We need to catch up. And not only do we go around the world, we also go around the corner. Here in Gilmer County, your Gideons are allowed in schools, the fifth grades, the high school, the Apple festivals, hospitals, hotels, wherever they can, they place a Gideon Bible. And you're part of that. We work for you. We are missionaries for all the evangelical churches on the face of the earth. We're not in competition with you people. We don't, the only thing we ask for is to let us have our card rack here and these cards that represent 
That's how the Gideons raised money, along with the uh, offerings we take up. 80% of all the money raised for Gideon Bibles in the world come to the United States. 65% of that money is raised by the Gideons ourselves. We had a banquet for the pastors last Thursday night, and we took up an offering. Nobody is supposed to give except the Gideons to show through pastors we practice what we preach. We pay our own dues, and that $5 worth of gas I spent coming down here and back comes out of my pocket. We don't take anything. Everything that we do, we do because we love the Lord, and we want to go shopping for lost people. That's our goal. That's how we raise our money. Now, I've got some uh, stories. Oh, I'd like, is there any veterans in here? Is there any Army or Air Force veterans in here? This is okay. Is there any Navy veterans in here or Coast Guard? Are you a Navy or a puddle jumper? Huh? Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Any jarheads in here? <laughs> Hoorah! You know, for a long time I thought that was a cuss word. But here recently I found out nobody knows what it means. But they shout that anyhow. After the church service, would you meet with me out there at that table? I want to shake your hand and give you a copy of the Camouflage Bible, the Gideons I've made, especially for those of you who have served our country. So after service, meet me out there at that table. Okay, I'm gonna, here comes the stories. I love stories. We get a magazine that tells stories. Now, y'all are looking at that. Can you tell me what that is? I can't hear you. <laughs> That's the USS Arizona, Missouri at Pearl Harbor. And that blue streak is the oil leak that comes out of there. It's going to, supposed to last for, they say, 400 years. It's a small leak that leaks in the engine room. And would you go to the next slide? That is the USS Missouri. That oil slick goes downstream and goes around the Missouri. What's significant about that, you say? In May of 1941, the Gideons did a Bible distribution with the Seventh Fleet. They gave out 7,000 scriptures and ran out. They came back in October and gave out over 40,000 scriptures to the entire Pacific Fleet. On December 6th of 1941, December 6th, they came and did a Bible distribution with the Army and Army Air Corps. The next day, thousands of American sailors are entombed in the USS Arizona. So, there's Gideon Bibles on that ship. There's also Gideon Bibles on the Missouri. There's no doubt in my mind when the battle stations were sounded, those sailors either had a copy of God's Word in their pocket or they had it on their mind because they knew that any minute they could die. I've got a story about a friend of mine was telling about a guy uh, who was ambushed in the Battle of the Bulls. He was shot six times. Five were not life-threatening. The sixth one went into his testament, his pocket. Went in through Matthew and come out in Revelation chapter 12. It saved his life. And after I got through, the young preacher stood up and said, this is Rydell, Georgia. That Bible is hanging in my grandmother's living room, framed. 
It was his great-great-grandpa. That Bible can save lives. I told that story in Unica Baptist Church back in October, and the pastor got up again, and he had just retired as a Navy chaplain. He said, I still have contact with people in the military. He said, I just heard a couple of weeks ago about a Ukrainian soldier that walked in with a mutilated testament in his hand, and he said, I want another one of these, and I want to know what it is and what it talks about. Another life saved by that. And I have here something that came into my possession about a month ago. If I can get it out. A niece gave me this. She found it in her grandpa's house when he moved out. In October, in 1944, Carl Bud Ledford was captured by the Germans in Italy. He was sent to Stalag 3B in Germany. And while he was there, he made friends. John Waite from Syracuse, New York, another Yankee. Uh, William Tobin from Marion Center, Pennsylvania. Another fellow from Arab, Alabama. Another one for Texas. You know he held on to that while he was a POW with the hope that one day he could get back to Caulfield, Tennessee. It worked for him. Another story, 1964. Now I use, I'm going to use the name Charles because I can't remember the names of all these people we get the letters from. But uh, he was captured in 1964 in North Vietnam. P.O.W. camp, 1968, he escaped, come back to America. Uh, and he was pastoring a church in Florida and got a call from his daddy one day and said, hey, I got a call from a fella who said he's a Vietnamese pastor of a church in Northern Florida and he wants to talk to you. He knew you in Vietnam. And Charles thought, hmm, the only people I knew in Vietnam was the bad guys. So he wants to meet you. So he called him, they arranged the time to meet. And Charles says, as I saw him walking down the hall to meet me, I recognized him. He was probably one of the meanest, cruelest guards we had in that POW camp. He's kind of like a sticky with your bayonet while you bleed. Not enough to kill you, but enough to hurt you. And as he got closer, he fell to his knees and asked Charles to please forgive him for the way he had treated him when he was a POW. You know, Charles thought, hmm, payback time. No, as a minister of the gospel, I can't do that. So he said, I halfway forgave him and raised him up. And the pastor said, I want you to come to my church and talk to my congregation and tell me about that little book you left behind in 1968. He said, I found that book. I learned English out of it. It's a textbook, folks. It can teach you English. He said, I went to Thailand, made my way through the United States, accepted Jesus as my Savior, and I'm pastoring a congregation in northern Florida. I want you to come to my church and talk to them. Charles said, okay. So two weeks before he was supposed to go, Hurricane Andrew struck. The Vietnamese pastor was killed while he was out checking on his parishioners. The wife called and said, please come anyhow and talk to my husband's congregation. He said, I did. As I stood in that pulpit, I fully forgave him for the way he treated me as a guard. After the service, the pastor's wife came up and 
handed him that little testament he had left behind in 1968. Folks, these books can save you spiritually and they can save you physically. Now I'm gonna lay this thing down just a second. I don't know what that is. My grandma called it a dumb phone. She said, Papa, I want you to get rid of that and get your smartphone. I said, I like my dumb phone. I don't like your smart phones. You know how much they cost. You know what you pay a month for them. You know how many times a day you got to charge them. And you know that they'll reach around the world and tell you almost anything you want to know. Testaments? Cost a dollar and fifty-four cents to print and distribute one of these. Fully charged. No batteries needed. Don't have to charge it. No monthly payments. And it will reach around the world. Plus, it will reach to the very throne of Almighty God, the creator of this universe. Which is a better buy? Your dumb phone or your smart edit phone or a love letter from God. You all have been a part of that. Since you've been having Gideon to give Gideons and have Gideon cards in your church, you've been a part of that because we work for you. You, will, you are being a part of it and you will be a part of it in the future. All the stories that we get are made possible because of you, because you give and Gideons go. Now, I need to close. Well, one other thing. This, uh, this soft cover Bible right here. The hotel Bibles that you see are hardback. And they have a expectancy of five to six years. And it's a possibility of reaching 2,300 people. After they reach their life expectancy, we go around and get them and tire the covers off and put these soft covers on. These are distributed to state prisons here in Georgia. So when they get in a fight, these don't hurt near as bad as the hard ones do. They let us take these and put them in. So that's what we do. One purpose, to give every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of this earth a love letter from God. And you can be a part of that. I want to close with one statement. Dr. Charles Bark, who I'd never heard of before or since, was a famous apologist. He would go around defending the scriptures to anybody that would listen, college campuses and, and whatever. And they had a reception for him, and they asked him, said, Dr. Barks, can you, in one simple phrase, summarize the work of your life in studying the scriptures? Dr. Barks stood up and quoted a famous Bible school saying, and I hope everyone of you knows it. If you do, say it with me. Jesus loves me. This I know. Thank you. And thank you, Mr. Campbell.
Appreciate you being here today. We've been longtime friends of the Gideons and praise God for their ministry. We believe in the power of God's Word to save. And uh, on your way out today, we'll be receiving an offering to go to the Gideons that, that God's Word might be spread to the ends of the earth. So you give as the Lord leads. Joe. All right. Let's stand together once again. And uh, we're going to sing a song called... Uh, Beneath the Waters, which is talking about baptism, of course. And what a joy it's been. Uh, you were right, Pastor Trey. It's just uplifting to see people come to the Lord and publicly state that in such a beautiful way. Let's sing together.
Jesus, you are our living hope. How we praise you today for the resurrection of Jesus Christ that made it clear that it was finished and the price was fully paid when Christ died on the cross. Lord, we thank you that you live today, that because you rose, we too can rise. We can rise in power, the power of your Spirit in us over sin. And one day we will rise, even in the resurrection, and forever be with you. Lord, we praise you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And I pray this morning, Father, that we would understand more of what the resurrection means and can mean in our lives. Be our teacher as we open your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We'll begin looking at the text in verse 13 in just a moment. And as our kids are making their way to Children's Church. Luke chapter 24. We'll begin reading in verse 13. And I want to start with the text this morning before we uh, get going. Luke 24, verse 13. Luke tells us that very day, this is still Easter Sunday, okay? We're still in, on Sunday. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. That would be everything we talked about last Sunday on Easter in verses 1 through 12 of this chapter. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, one of them named Cleopas answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Isn't that an ironic question? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the, in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they'd even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. 
for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us? While he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. I want to talk to you this morning about hearts ablaze with the gospel. Uh, the truth of this passage that I want you to, to get, uh, that we've just read, is simply this. When we understand the good news that Jesus lived, died, and rose again to save us, our hearts are set on fire with gratitude, and we run to spread the flame of joy in Jesus to others. When we really understand what has happened through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, our hearts are set on fire. Amen? Is that real for you? That was kind of weak. Is that real for you today? Our hearts are set on fire with gratitude, and we run to spread the flame of joy in Jesus to others. Several things I want you to see in this text. First of all, notice the confusion of the disciples. You see it there in verses 13 and 14, and also verses 19 through 24. They are walking and talking about what had happened that day. And Jesus comes up and, and asks what they're talking about. And, and they tell them, we're, tell, we're talking about Jesus and all that's, that's happened. How can you not know what's gone on this weekend? And very simply, they couldn't make sense out of all that had happened on Easter Sunday. They were confused. They were hurting and because of their confusion, they were even, according to the text, unbelieving. The women had told them that they had seen Jesus alive. But as it's made clear here, they just didn't believe him. Now, we don't know why they were going to Emmaus. But what we do know, that is, if they had believed the testimony of the women about Jesus being alive, they wouldn't have been going to Emmaus. They'd have been staying in Jerusalem and finding, searching out Jesus. Perhaps they were so full of grief, they were trying to outrun the pain by getting out of town for a while. Frederick Buckner asked a question in his sermon on this text that we all need to answer. Where is your Emmaus? You see, we've all got one. We've all got that place we run to when things are hard. Maybe it's the mall for a little retail therapy. Maybe it's booze to help you numb the more bitter realities of life. Maybe it's that TV remote every evening so it can take you away from all of the stuff of life as you mindlessly channel surf. We try to escape our troubles, don't we? That's when we head to our Emmaus. Maybe we can escape our grief. Maybe we can outrun the pain. But these two disciples can't stop thinking about what's troubling them. They're, they're trying to get away from it all, but they can't stop talking about it. And isn't that how it goes? 
They're talking about Jesus' crucifixion on Friday. They're talking about the silence and pain of Saturday. And then the wild and crazy happenings of an empty tomb and, and the outlandish imaginations of those women that said they saw him alive. But in the midst of their pain, their grief, and their confusion, just as he so often does in our lives, Jesus shows up. The second thing we see here is the compassion of Christ. He appears to them. He, he, he walks up beside them. And, and it says here, he drew near and went with them, started walking with them. Verse 16 says, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. We'll talk more about that later. And he asked them what it is they're talking about. We don't even know one of the name of one of these two disciples. And Cleopas is not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. So we don't know anything about him except what's in our text. Get the picture here. Jesus appears to two nobody disciples. We don't even know one of them's name. On an out-of-the-way road, heading to a city we don't even know where it exactly was. It was seven miles from Jerusalem, but we're not even sure where Emmaus was located. And he does this before he appeared to the eleven. With the exception maybe of Peter's. We'll read a little bit later. He, he does appear to Peter. We don't know if it happened simultaneous or, or you know, before or after this. What we need most in the hardest of times is hope. And Jesus takes hope to folks that we have know nothing about. They, 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 didn't, they didn't make any uh, hall of fame of faith in the scriptures. We didn't get a lot of details about their life. And isn't that comforting to know Jesus brings hope to people like that? I'm one of those people. You're one of those people. And to us, Jesus often appears as we walk in our pain. Jesus so often comes to us where we are in our confusion with the comfort of the gospel, the comfort of his grace, the hope of his resurrection. How does he bring hope and comfort? Well, he does it by bringing us, the third thing I want you to see this morning, the clarity of the gospel in all of Scripture. Let me tell you how Jesus, every time, this is a promise, every time Jesus brings hope into your life, every time the risen Christ by His Spirit brings hope into your heart and mind and into your life, it will always involve this book. It will always involve a clearer understanding of the gospel as recorded in God's Word. He says in verse 25, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You see, these disciples knew Scripture. These were Jewish disciples. They knew the Old Testament. Their hearts just weren't believing it. That can be our life as church people, can't it? Hello? Y'all all right? We know the Bible. We've been around the Bible. We've heard all the stories. There's probably very few texts we've never heard preached. But the question is, are our hearts believing it? He goes on and says, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? You see, they knew, they should have known that it was necessary because they had heard 
Even Jesus himself tell them over and over again that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer and die for the sins of the world, and rise on the third day. He spelled it out just like that for his followers. Verse 27 is amazing. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He took the Old Testament, and you talk about a Bible study. Man, I wish I could have been there for that, don't you? There, sometimes there's things you wish Scripture told you that it doesn't tell you. But what could that have been like? What would that have been like? Can you imagine? It was about a two or three hour walk to Emmaus. Can you imagine what that walk would have been like? We don't know all that Jesus told these two disciples. We wish we did, but we do know the text tells us that he showed them how the Old Testament was about him. Perhaps it went something like this. In Genesis, I am the word of God, creating the heavens and the earth. I am the promised seed of the woman. In Exodus, I am the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, I'm the high priest and representative of the tabernacle. I'm the lampstand. I'm the showbread, and I'm the sacrifice on the altar. In Numbers, I'm the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night and the smitten rock that gives living water. In Deuteronomy, I'm the prophet greater than Moses. In Joshua, the commander of the army of the Lord, leading his people into the promised land. In Judges, I'm I am the true and final judge. In Ruth, I am the kinsman redeemer. In 1 and 2 Samuel, I am the anointed shepherd king who slays the giant. In 1 and 2 Kings, I'm the righteous king of kings and lord of lords. And in 1 and 2 Chronicles, I'm the faithful restorer of the kingdom of God. In Ezra, I am the faithful restorer of the temple. In Nehemiah, I am the redeeming rebuilder of the walls. In Esther, I am the sovereign protector of his people. In Job, I'm the living redeemer and your true comforter. In Psalms, I'm the good shepherd who hears your cries. In Proverbs, I am wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, I am the meaning of life. In Song of Solomon, I am the loving bridegroom coming for his bride. In Isaiah, I'm the promised Messiah, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. I am the suffering servant, wounded for your transgression and bruised for your iniquities. In Jeremiah, I am the potter in the righteous branch. In Lamentations, I am the weeping prophet and Ezekiel, the river of life, bringing healing to the nations. In Daniel, I'm the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, I'm the ever-faithful husband, pursuing his unfaithful bride. In Joel, I am the restorer of what the locusts have eaten and the one who will pour out his spirit on his people. In Amos, I am the burden bearer and the true restoration. In Obadiah, I am the judge of all the earth and mighty to save. In Jonah, I am the salvation of all lands and the prophet cast out in the storm who spent three days in the depths. I am Micah. In Micah, I am the promised Messiah, born in Bethlehem. In Nahum, I am the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, the reason for rejoicing and our strength even when the fields are empty. In Zephaniah, I am the preserver and restorer of his remnant and kingdom. In Haggai, I am the desire of all nations. In Zechariah, I am the cleansing fountain and the pierced sun whom every eye on earth will one day behold. And in Malachi, I am the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. I am the refiner's fire. Sinclair Ferguson said this, Jesus is the true prophet, he's the true priest, he's the true king, 
He's the true temple. He's the true sacrifice. He's the true lamb. He's the true light. And he is the true bread. The Old Testament is about Jesus. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Now, the text doesn't tell us exactly where these disciples' hearts were in the moments between the best Bible study ever and supper with Jesus. We're not told how they responded to that Bible class we all wished we could attend, but they had all the information now, didn't they? They had the, I mean, just imagine it. The entire Old Testament interpreted the right way by Jesus himself, and they, at least intellectually, understood that it all points to him. The fourth thing I want you to see this morning in verses 28 to 31 is the comprehension of the disciples. They still don't know who he is. They still haven't recognized Jesus. And so we read it earlier. We'll just kind of summarize it. They get close to the village. He acts like he's going to keep going. They say, oh, no, stay with us. It's getting late in the day. It's nearing evening. So, you know, who knows, 5, 6 o'clock maybe at this point. It's, it's, too, it's too late in the day to keep going. Come stay with us. He decides to do that. And it says, when, verse 30, he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Now, they'd seen Jesus take bread, bless it, break it, and give it to, to thousands on two different occasions, they had watched that happen. They'd heard of how he did it on Thursday evening of the Passover, at the Passover meal when he revealed to the eleven how through his broken body and shed blood he would be the final Passover lamb on Friday. And suddenly, in these acts with which they were so familiar, and by the illumination of the Holy Spirit, they could now see the risen Jesus and understand that He is the Messiah, the only Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is our only living hope, as we just sang, who gives us eternal life. And I don't know, but I just wonder, maybe the reason Jesus kept His identity from them on the road the reason they were not able to recognize him. You understand that was a God thing. Maybe the reason was so that he could give them that clear Christ-centered understanding of the Old Testament scriptures before they were overwhelmed with surprise and joy and wouldn't be able to think straight enough to listen. And as soon as they realize who he is, Jesus is gone. Vanished. What do they do? That's the last thing I want you to see this morning. Notice with me in verses 32 to 35, the disciples' circulation of the good news that Jesus is risen. The disciples' circulation of the good news that Jesus is risen. So what do they do? After he disappears, they say to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? Hearts aflame with the gospel. While he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Verse 33 is a simple statement of a simple happening, but it's a big deal. It's dark, and they're taking a seven-mile hike in the dark back to Jerusalem. 
Why? Because they cannot wait to circulate this news that they've seen the risen Christ. You see, when you have news like that, it can't wait. The text says they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. And, and it's the eleven that speak in verse 34. Okay, not them. They're, they don't say this. The eleven are saying this to the two. The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So since they left Jerusalem, Jesus had showed up and, and showed himself to Simon too. That's all we know about the, the, the Jesus' appearance to Simon, Peter. We don't know anything else about it. We just know what happened. Then, verse 35, these two that had come from Emmaus told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The disciples' circulation of the good news that Jesus is risen. You see, when we understand the good news that Jesus lived, died, and rose again to save us, our hearts are set on fire with gratitude. And we run to spread the flame of joy in Jesus to others. Now, they go back to tell the 11, Jesus' disciples first, people that were already following him. But from then on, all of Jesus' disciples, the 11, these two guys, all who followed him would run to circulate the good news of a risen Savior to every person they could find, to a world, to all nations that is without hope and without God in need of a Savior. That's the commission, you remember, that they'll receive in just a few days from Jesus himself. That thing we call the Great Commission about, you know, going and making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the commission they would receive and be empowered for by his indwelling spirit. You know, the same thing's true for us today, isn't it? When we understand the good news that Jesus lived, died, and rose again to save us, if we've really gotten that, if we've really embraced God's grace in Jesus, then our hearts will be set on fire with gratitude. And we will run to spread the flame of joy in Jesus to others. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah knew something of this as Jerry Vines put it, holy heartburn that these two had. In Jeremiah 20, verse 9, he said, If I say I will not mention him or speak of any more of his name, speaking of God. Now, why would Jeremiah say that? Well, Jeremiah had a rough ministry. Jeremiah told people what God said, and you know what they did? Nothing. They didn't even listen. He was called the weeping prophet because nobody paid attention. They persecuted him. They ignored his ministry. He didn't see anybody come to Christ, Trey. He, he, he didn't see any results from his ministry. And he said, but when I say I'm, not, I'm done, I'm not talking about God anymore. I'm not going to tell him, tell the people what he said anymore. There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. You see, when we've seen and heard the word of God. When we've gotten the gospel, that's the way it is for us. Except unlike Jeremiah, it's all good news. It's all good news in the gospel. Is your heart ablaze with gratitude so that you are daily running to spread the flame of joy in Jesus to others? If not, could it be that you're simply refusing to believe what you already know about Jesus? They didn't have a, a knowledge problem, you understand. Now, don't misunderstand. They learned a lot in that class. But they already knew the Scripture. 
you know, there's a difference in, in being in church your whole life and hearing all the stuff and you personally actually wanting to understand. You follow me? I mean, kids, teenagers, and, and, and yeah, because you're the ones in the room, but actually some younger kids. I mean, when you go to school, bottom line, here's the deal. We know how this works as parents. You can just sit through class. You can hear a lot of stuff. Like it, and and what the, the miracle of it is, is it ca- some of it catches. Like you're not, you, know, you don't care. You have, you have no desire to learn. But you learn anyway. It kind of happens that way. But there's a big difference. You're going to do a whole lot better on the test if you're actually plugged in, if you're listening to the teacher, if, if you're taking notes, if you're, if you're going home and doing your homework and studying what it is. And, and there'll come a time in your life, I know it's hard to believe, there'll come a time in your life when you actually do care to learn something and you'll want to figure out what the teacher's saying and you'll want to know about a particular subject because you'll want to do that with your life. You want to spend your life doing a certain trade or a certain uh, job, whatever it may be. Same's true with us in Scripture. And again, you hear me say this all the time. If you think this, this right here, this, this moment of, of, of somebody preaching the Word of God to you, as important as that is, if you think that's going to do it in your life, if you think that's going to cause your heart to burn hot for the gospel, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I, I, I'm not that dumb. <laughs> I, I know better. What I do in this pulpit's not that powerful. Though it's powerful, God uses his word. But what I'm getting at is, it's every day you opening this book and studying and digging. It's you getting into the word of God, learning more about the gospel. That's where the hope comes. That's where the gratitude is built. That's where that, your heart will be set afire, ablaze with gratitude to go and run to share the gospel with others. It could be that we're just plain disobedient. Because we like living for me. Could it be that we've lost our sense of gratitude and joy in Jesus? That we've become more captivated by other people, activities, possessions, than we are Jesus Christ? You know, here's the deal. You know the answer to that question. You know it right now. As soon as it came out of my mouth, you knew the answer in your heart. And if you're his, it was the Spirit of God that gave you that insight. Don't just ignore that. Don't just shove that down. When you can live the way you were created to live, when we understand the good news that Jesus lived, died, and rose again to save us, our hearts are set on fire with gratitude. And we run to spread the flame of joy in Jesus to others. Oh, may we live with hearts ablaze for the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this part of your word, and thank you that Jesus is alive. God, may we be like these two disciples. May our hearts burn white hot with the gospel. And may we run to tell others about you, Lord Jesus, that they might know the joy we know in your grace. Father, I thank you for your your word. It is such a precious gift. And 
all 66 books are about Jesus. May we love your word. May we, even as scripture teaches us, may we say of your word, it is our life. It's our bread. We can't live without the book. And may our daily schedules reflect that. May our time spent every day, not because we have to, not legalistically, not to earn anything, but because our hearts are starving for you. Because we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We hunger and thirst for more of your grace, a a greater understanding of your love. Make it so, Father. So that men, women, boys, and girls all around us might hear about you. But so, Father, even, even, even before that, and on a selfish level, so that we might not just live and exist, but that we might have abundant life. And it can be found nowhere else than the joy of Jesus. Pray, Father, that as we worship you now in song, that if there's any who need to come to Christ today, that that would happen right now. They would... They would come to you. They would would believe who you are and trust you. Lord, for us, your people, I pray you would make us to be white hot. I think of the second chapter of Revelation, how Jesus chides the church at Ephesus for Forgetting their first love. Oh God, help us not to be those whose love has grown cold. And if that's where we are, then today may we repent. Thank you for the gift and joy of repentance. And may we, by your spirit and through the gospel, even in this moment, have that cold heart replaced by a white hot, burning for Jesus heart. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we worship. This altar is open for you to come and pray however you may need to do that today. Seek the Lord's face. The doors of our church are open to receive members any way we can. You respond to the Lord as we sing.
you may be seated for just a, just a couple minutes here. So this morning we have come in Judy Price. Miss Price has been with us for some time. Her and her husband Roy have worshiped, worshiped with us. Roy has since they came here gone on home to be with the Lord Jesus. And uh, she said just a minute ago she wished he could be here with her. Um, and of course, but she, he is with the Lord Jesus and we rejoice in that. Um, Miss Price comes this morning to join our church by transfer of membership from um, the church on Main in Snellville, Georgia, formerly the First Baptist Church of Snellville, Georgia. So what's the pleasure of the church in regards to receiving Miss Judy Price? Amen. Is there a second? And all in favor, let me know by saying amen. amen. And we love you. We love you. We do, Miss Price. We love you. Appreciate you. We've been praying for you in, these, in recent days and continue to do that. So welcome. And I'll have you join me after the service so folks can greet you if they hadn't got to meet you and, and just welcome you to the church family. Pastor Trey's going to come now, and he's got some presentations to make to our, uh, our new brothers and sisters. Amen. Wasn't that a good message, first of all? Amen. That was good. Um, can I ask all of those who were baptized today, could you please come down now? I've got something for you. Let's see here. Just stand and face the crowd one more time. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, we're going to honor these guys and uh First of all, we have Jackson McNabb. We've got your certificate of baptism here and a Bible that we hope that you'll use when you can as time presents. And so let's give Jackson a round of applause. All right, Lillian, we got you a Bible too and a certificate. We expect this to be framed and put up in your house in a prominent position, okay? So we're very proud of you. Let's give Lily and a... your hand too, bud. And last but not least, wow, we went in order the same way. Riley Davis, and so you know what that is, and we expect it in a prominent place. Love you, buddy. Amen. We're proud of these kids, and, and we're going to do our best to come up alongside y'all and help you as you walk with Jesus, and so enjoy that. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Trey. Church, be, be in prayer for these uh, young folks and uh, as they uh, continue their walk, begin their walk with the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. 